Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts. We're going to be finishing up Acts 16. It's been a, a while that we've uh, been in this chapter of Acts as we've looked through it. And uh, just a reminder that um, Acts chapter 16 is in, in the area of Philippi, where we see the book of Philippians. And so as we walk through that, I want to read a passage out of Philippians for you. Philippians chapter 3, one that you might be familiar with, uh, but kind of challenges us to jump in um, just full bore into this passage. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. Listen to, or excuse me, verse 18 through 21. Bible says this, Paul writes, for many whom of whom I have often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables himself, excuse me, him, even to subject all things to him. You know, as I was looking at that passage, we see kind of two strong differences between Paul's picture. One is who we are um, hopeful to be in Christ Jesus, what God has in store for us, where Paul talks about this glorious transformation, our lowly bodies into glorious bodies by the power of God. And, and we see this reality as what we hope for, but it's preceded by these words of, listen, you're, you were citizens of something else you weren't this way before Christ you used to be kind of I'm chained down to this uh, destruction and and how we can identify is do you remember when your God was your belly now now as Baptists we like to eat a lot so we don't talk about God as our belly too much because that gets personal but but when we think about it what Paul's saying is when you did what you wanted to do do you remember when the whims of your heart drove the lips and the, the murmuring of your mouth? Do you remember when what made you feel good in the moment or what people gave you uh, respect for, that was what you followed? Do you remember when you just chased what was easy or what, what just felt right in the moment? Do you remember you're no longer a slave to these passions, these whims of what ifs, where's and however. Paul said instead, we have this glorious restoration, transformation in Christ Jesus. And, and we don't look at a lot of glorious transformations. I think we hear from about them from afar. I think sometimes the reason that maybe our lips don't move with the gospel as much is because we know we have been saved, but we're questioning whether we've been transformed. I mean, let, let's be honest. If, if you knew something transformative and you knew every time you gave it to someone, it was transformative. If you had an unending bank account, never ran out, I, I would be the most generous person in the world. A million dollars for you, a million dollars. It would change everybody's life until we had inflation then it would go to a billion but you follow me for a minute right if I had an unending bank account I would give it to you because I can tell you man it's transformed my life without debt yada 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 but I, I think the same is true in Christ we hear about transformation we know about transformation and we know about salvation but have we experienced transformation that allows us to look up 
I think that's what's going on in Acts chapter 16 as we look at the story of the jailer. We're, we're going to be looking at some, some visual markers. Some are miscues and some will be markers to move forward with. And, and here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to, at the end, allow you to know this story involves three people, uh, Paul, Silas, and the jailer. That's kind of the main three characters of it. At, at the last point, you're allowed to think of yourself as Paul or Silas. You following? So the first two points, you don't get to be the hero going through that. Everybody okay with that? Just make a commitment. You don't have to raise your hand, but just say, okay, Lord, let me be the jailer just for a minute, all right? Because I think there's something in there that we need to see and pull into. So let's set the stage. Acts chapter 16, we'll start in verse 20 through 22, just to kind of get us all back together again. The Bible says this. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined them in attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Now here's something interesting I want to bring you back into. Paul and Silas's life were transformed by the gospel of Christ Jesus. And because of that, they messed up everything they touched. I mean, chew, chew on that for just a second. Some of, some of you are like gardeners and you have a green thumb and others of you are like me and you have a brown thumb. What that really means is you don't water your stuff. Let's just call it like it is. But, but you might say, either way, whatever you touch is transforming life or death. What Paul is, has in his, in his life is transformational and the world didn't want it. It took away a source of income. It, it messes up the party, so to speak, of what's going on in Philippi. And so we see here this life that is transformed by Christ and that transforms everything it touches. And here's what it did. It, it touched sin, changed a girl's life, but now her masters and the town don't like it because they're preaching a gospel of transformation through Christ Jesus alone, not Christ Jesus and, 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 and. And so what's the goal? Well, let's see what happens. What's the end? Verse 23. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, having ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he, the jailer, put them into the inner prison fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, now this is a, a moment because we start to get this drawing that God allows us to see of this kind of visual persona of the jailer and the, the people around him. And quite honestly, there was an effort that's taken to establish this image. And you see, the jailer is most likely a retired warrior, a retired soldier. Remember, all these great battles were fought around Philippi. When they were won, the soldiers retired there. They all had jobs, great commerce, the new organizational skills. They were trustworthy. So this jailer kind of has the easy job. His job is to do what he's always done, to put people in prison and guard them for their safety. You know what that was like? It meant let them be held tightly so that tomorrow someone can abuse them in the way that the ruler sees fit. It's not like keep it. There was no, there was no pillow and mints in prison. You follow me? 
that this, this jailer didn't all of a sudden become like hospitality, you know, hero working in the guest booth at the church. His job was to put them in stocks and make sure that no one got to them and that they didn't get out. That was what it meant to watch them safely and to guard their safety. It wasn't to make them comfortable, it was to make them uncomfortable. He had no buy-in to it, why? Because he was collecting a paycheck, he got to keep his position, people respected him still, he still had some authority, he still had some power. He, he, had, he really gotten to pour into and retire, keeping the measure of esteem he had worked to his whole life. That's really the, the point of this image. And here are the people of God, Paul and Silas, beaten, worn out, probably being helped in, thrown on the ground, locked in chains. I started to think about what my mom used to say growing up. We've all heard it a thousand times. Don't judge a book by its cover. Right? We, we've all heard that. Do you know that's not bad advice? It's just zero people follow it. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I want you to check this out. Somebody knows that's good advice no one follows. The average book cover to design it costs 500 bucks. A good one costs about two grand, right? Every year, 2.2 million books, new books, are published in this world. If all 2.2 million spend about 500 bucks, people spend a trillion dollars so that you will judge their book by its cover. <laughs> Have you thought about that? May, ladies, we're not talking about the makeup industry, amen? We're not, going into, we're not going deeper into that. Guys, we're not talking about gym membership because we all know there's two types of gym. One gym that you go to to really get in shape because everybody has baggy clothes on and the other gym everybody goes to because you're already in shape and I'm not going to your gym. You follow me? Because we, we know people can say don't judge a book by its cover, but at the end of the story... The enemy knows it, the Lord knows it, and we know it, that men and women judge other people by what they see, hear, and do, don't we? We know that's the case. So what do we do? We spend a lot of effort and a lot of energy building our case. And this jailer is no different He's doing his job well. He knows who he is. He is, he is a soldier. Now he is still a soldier working for local government. The point of all this is to elevate his stability. The whole town would have seen it. These guys who had the power to save this girl have no power to save themselves. And the local authority is able to do with them what they will. Church, I want you to know this idea of pouring effort into our image, like trying to build our brand, trying to establish who we are based on our job, our identity, our thing, it's not new. If you were to look back into the story of Judah in 2 Kings chapter 20, you would see the story of King Hezekiah. He wasn't a horrible king of Judah. He just did some, some bad things, made some bad decisions along the way. One of the worst in, in Second Kings was he invited a neighboring king, just this kind of kingdom from far away called Babylon, to come and check out all the treasures that he had amassed. 
Isaiah the prophet came in and he said, excuse me, King Hezekiah, what are you doing? Oh man, I just showed these nice friends of ours, the king of Babylon, everything. What do you mean everything? No, everything, all the gold, all the inner treasures, everything. Why would you do that? I'm trying to build my brand. I'm trying to establish who I am. This is like a bad B-rated TV show, isn't it? If someone says, hey, would you, I'm just coming to see, would you just show me what's in the safe at your house? Would you mind just showing me? I would love to see what jewelry you've amassed or, oh, outstanding. I'd love to see your, your, your private gun collect, whatever it is. Just, this is so cool. <laughs> Good to be your neighbor. We all know what's going on here. When men and women build their brand from the beginning of time to today until the end, there's always something nefarious coming your way. Because the world says, build your brand, establish your identity, make sure that these visual metrics that you use to judge other people are running high in your life. I mean, parents, isn't that why we get embarrassed when our, when our child does something outside of the home that's funny inside the home, but it's not funny outside the home? Ladies, isn't that why you get embarrassed when, when your husband acts goofy outside in local establishments the same way he does when he's screaming at the TV when his college football team's playing? Why? Because we are working and we understand we judge people by these visual effects, these metrics. But what Scripture shows us in setting up this story from Genesis to the end of Scripture is this is that God does not value your effort in brand building. And we're going to see that in this story. And I think this is pivotal. If you claim Jesus Christ and are still concerned about your visual metrics, then your, then your focus is split. So maybe you and I are more like the jailer than we think. But I want to walk in and kind of get to the, to the heart of this. Verse 26 and verse 20 through 28, the Bible says this. The Bible says in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword. He was about to kill himself, supposing all the prisoners were escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. But can you imagine this moment? I mean, Paul and Silas are singing in prison. They're in chains. It's not loud, awesome. They've been beaten. But it's loud enough to, to echo through the stone walls of the prison. And all of a sudden, a, a, the ground starts shaking or shifting. Shackles come loose. The, the, the doors fall open. The bars holding them in kind of get apart. And what do we see? We see from the jailer the visual metrics that he judged his life by failing in an instant. And he says it's over. See, because when you and I are building a visual persona by these metrics in our life, 
when it gets shaken just a little bit, the visuals fail. If you're pretending your family is going well, if everything's always got to be perfect, it just takes a little shake for it to go wrong, doesn't it? It was amazing. I was on study break a couple of weeks ago, and one evening I was um, catching up on a, on a game show. That's really deep stuff when, when you're going through. And there was two commercials that came on back to back. It was, it was amazing in this moment when I started to think about when visuals fail. And, and one was for a movie and it had a musical score and the words that are repeated are, you will be found, right? That, that's what, that's a repeat. It's this kind of upbeat kind of wording going on. It was, it was kind of interesting. Immediately following it, there's a commercial who has a musical score by a band called Elohim, right which you'll find in scripture for the name of god that's where this musical group got their name and their message is this it's okay to be lost and interesting you will be found followed by it's okay to be lost and I, and I thought about what, what, what happens here in this moment. You see, when the jailer sees the sh jails are shaken, when his identity wrapped up in these metrics he's established, pleasing the, the king, pleasing the local government, having a great reputation with his friends, all of these things he's been building on so that the world would judge him as worthy. All it takes is a little shake one evening when everybody's asleep to make it all fall apart. And all of a sudden, this idea that it's okay to be lost, he knows is not true. He knows he'll be found for what's really underneath the surface, what he's really done. Because trials test the security of the anchors that our identity is tied into. Don't they? Don't, don't trials test the real security of the anchors you're tied into? Maybe not even the change, just what you're roped into. I think of Zacchaeus in the, in the sycamore tree when Jesus calls him out. What does he do? He says, hey, come down. I'm, I'm coming to dine with you. And immediately we see Zacchaeus throw out, jump out of the tree, throw off all of his chains and follow Jesus. The see, Jesus wasn't a threat to Zacchaeus. He was just exposing anchors. Zacchaeus knew he was rich. Zacchaeus knew retirement was going to be good. Zacchaeus knew his family or his kids were going to be all right. But he knew standing up, looking for Jesus, hanging out in this tree, he knew the moment that Jesus spoke that what he tied himself into was insufficient for this little shaking and he didn't want anything to do with it anymore. Church, where do you stand with your identity today? What makes you, you? When a crisis hits your life, where do you turn? When victory stands before you, who are you lifting up? And a financial counselor will tell you, I can tell you what you worship. Just open your, your checkbook or your bank statement. 
if you want to know what the anchors are that defines you, let's play a little game. If you were to just think through your expenses in the last two weeks, what do they tie into? Who do they esteem? Men, let me challenge you with this question. Outside of work, what defines you? In other words, when you walk into the house and you put the keys down on the counter, what do you do with the next three hours? When, when you're not accountable for a season, what do you tie your anchors to? Ladies, maybe the question goes to you. When, when no one needs you, what are you doing that drains you? What are you tying your anchors to that define your personality, that make others think you're something, someone, that you're all right? See, if we start honor, answering these questions honestly, what we find out is, Lord, if a little quake shakes my cell, the charade is up. And it's not okay to be lost. See, church, here's where Paul and Silas come into the story. And they've been singing there the whole time. Paul says, wait, we're all still here. But Paul and Silas has something the jailer does not. And maybe we need more of. You see, he has, a, he has a visual consistency. His brand on the inside is the same as on the outside. In the dark when he's beaten, as well as the, as the man on the street. When he's talking with, with a woman or whether he's preaching to a group of ministers and priests. His, his branding is the same because it's not tied to him. So look at Paul and Silas. Look at the jailer in these words. We look in verse 29 and below. The Bible says this, and the jailer called for the lights. That means there were other people there on his team. And he rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. And then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. See, all of a sudden, we see a transformation happen. And we find two testimonies coming out of this, but they're both tied to Christ. I mean, the first, let's look at Paul and Silas in, the, in this game we have here, in this story that we have here. First of all, they had to put aside the past. Did you catch that? I mean, their visual consistency is, Paul says, I'm the worst sinner. There's no one worse than me. Paul says, let's put aside the past. I mean, this jailer had been a part of the group roughing them up. He'd throw them into prison. He'd put them into shackles. He wasn't friendly with them. 
he would have just done his job and gone on his way. If Paul and Silas, bearing the name of Jesus Christ, sitting in this room, if he falls down and he says, listen, what must I do to be saved? What do you say? Do you say, not on my watch? Do you say, you've done too much wrong? Do the words of forgiveness, do they come off your lips and invade your own heart as much as you desire from others? Church, we have to be willing to let the gospel transform us so that when someone, even our jailer, says, what must I do? that you esteem Jesus Christ more than your wounds. More than your wounds. They, they put aside the past and, and what they did was they offered truth. They, they, didn't, they didn't say, go talk to somebody else. Didn't say, I'm not sufficient. They didn't say, listen, I'd love to talk to you, but you broke my jaw earlier. And whatever strength they had, they said, here's what you do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. You and, and, and your whole household, believe in him. And they must have said, follow him, because baptism is there. Church, are you ready to offer the words of truth of life? You don't have to be a scholar. You don't even have to be bold. You just have to be you. Because the anchor that you're tied into is Jesus, and he designed you different than me, than Omar, than the person sitting next to you. Your boldness doesn't have to look like the same type of dish as what God serves up from someone else. But it has to be made available. But you have to put aside your past. You have to offer up the truth. And then I thought I loved it when Omar was sharing the story. Guess what happened? They continued on with life. Did you see that? They engaged with life with this guy. They end up eating at his house. This is a guy in the middle of the night. You'll find out they have to go back to prison. So, so God doesn't escape them. He didn't rescue them from prison because the next morning we talk about their release. So here's the night. God scares and shakes the jailer, offering Paul and them offer the word, and then they go eat at his house before they go back to prison. Could you imagine, Paul, like if it's all about me? Hey, if you do me a solid, like you don't have to go back. We're brothers now. This doesn't seem like the Christian thing to do. Right? Paul and Silas, because they have been transformed by Christ, have no issue putting away the past, offering the truth, and engaging authentic life with a new brother in Jesus. Now you're allowed to say, am I Paul or Silas? Is that where your life stands? Is that what your life leans into? See, because the jailer's in a different place, he doesn't have life without the gospel being offered. 
He doesn't, he doesn't have hope without something being said. I was reading an article this week and um, it was amazing. Uh, depression, if you're not aware of it, has gone in the past year up from 8% among adult, adults reported to 28 plus percent. Um, people saying, I'm depressed. That, that's, that's a huge problem. And the world knows it and the enemy knows it. And he would rather us be lost than found. And so my news feed blows up this week. And one of the titles, no joke, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't get it wrong. It says this, magic mushrooms may be the biggest advance in treating depression since Prozac. If you don't know what magic mushrooms are, they're a hallucinogen. The goal of a hallucinogen is to make what is false feel real. And, and the, the data and the study is, is that if you can experience enough false reality that your brain might reprogram itself so that you can enjoy real reality more. See, because the world doesn't have the answer. What's amazing is about, about hallucinations, church, is how often they feel religious. See, the enemy knows being lost, trying to, to convince you and I that we can find our way through the woods without salvation, without Christ, without transformation, that if we can just be kept there, then, then we're his. But when the gospel comes through a transformed life before an almighty God and before a broken people, the truth of the gospel does something different. It transforms lives. Church, in God's sovereign and great plan, there are two things that are true from Genesis to Revelation. One, God is good and he makes salvation visible for all to see. No man discovers it in the bush like God dropped it somewhere like he's geocaching. And the second thing is true. By his grace, God enables man to respond to his offer of salvation. Yes or no? The jailer has no aisle to walk to but the humility that comes upon and drapes every man and every woman when they stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords drapes this man. And he says, what must I do to be saved? I've, I've been hearing you sing. I've, I've heard the rumors. What must I do to really be saved? Not this, I'm going to church, throw some money in the offering plate. Not this, I joined just a small group. Not just, I put on, not prove yourself to me, God, kind of salvation. But the real salvation that comes from being humiliated by the almighty God, understanding that I am nothing. What must I do? It comes from authentic following. You see, we know that this is more than lip service because this man, he makes public before his household, all the prisoners and the guys he called in to bring the lights. 
by being baptized. He says, I am a follower of the God of my prisoners. I don't care what the visual metrics say. Their God is my God. And then we see he washes their wounds. Think about that. He washes their wounds and he serves them a meal. His life reflects the journey God has put him on. Church, this morning, this is the invitation. As you sit here today, has your life been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has it shaken your metrics, your anchors of life? If so, you, you can pretend it's going to be prescribed soon enough. Or you can be transformed, made new by the offer of salvation and the promise of life. You see, the hope that Paul talks about in Philippians 3, we no longer worship the God of our bellies being accepted or having everybody okay with me. But instead, through salvation, we have been transformed and our bodies, our lives glorified. Church, wherever you are this morning, the offer is for you. What are your metrics? If they are not anchored in Jesus Christ and they are taking effort for you to protect, the altar will be open. Fall on your knees, not before any person, but before Almighty God. Father God, we love you. Lord, we look into your word. And Father, as a believer, Lord, I'm, I think I'm guilty of going back into those prison cells and, and putting on the chains for old time's sake. Lord, I, I know there are men and women in this room who have tasted life in you, but have lost the savoring, lingering taste of abundant life. And they see the prison walls around them. They see the trappings of their family. They see the trappings of their circumstances. They see the, the decisions where they've led them and they think, I have gone too far. I just need to sit. Father God, you have given more. You have promised more than that. So Lord, today, Lord, we ask that you would be who you are. Lord, that you would allow us to see and know transformation through the gospel. Marriages healed, families restored. <laughs> Lord, Paul went back to the jail. So God, we're, we're asking for rescue where we are, not from where we are. So that your glory might be on display. In Jesus' name, amen.